3: Do Let's do it, uh, uh, Tran. Hello, uh, hi. Nice, nice to meet you. You too. Uh, uh, we were just we were just talking about how you're in Montreal, and, uh, and which is is by far I think one of my favorite Canadian cities. Um, but also, so glad I'm not there right now. <laughs> uh, uh, yes, you're I'm very so lucky. sorry. I'm so sorry.
1: It, I mean, facts are facts. You know, <laughs> um, this is the worst place to be in Canada during uh, this pandemic. I mean, still better than other places in the world. Although, what is even the point of being comparative? It's mm-hmm. all a shit mm-hmm. show. Exactly. Um, yeah. But you know, Montreal, um, in terms of numbers and, and all of that, is the worst place in Canada. What right.
0: What is it about? Like, <sighs> is, is there a feeling to to living in Montreal right now where you just feel like people aren't taking things as seriously? For um, to give you some context, my uh, my girlfriend lives in Quebec City and uh i've gone to see her a couple times uh since the pandemic started actually when things shut down a year ago in march i went to quebec and i stayed there i was there for like 6 months living there and uh so that we could be isolating and and going through this together and and it was amazing being there however i still had this feeling that like <clears throat> you know people didn't really take things as seriously like there there are people who do but there's this there's this sort of like almost like lack of awareness would be the best way to describe it Mm. i remember being in the mall when uh things were starting to open back up and you're like you're me being from nova scotia and having been back here and knowing how um how aware people are here of like the six feet of social distancing and 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 not like going within that space and everybody's wearing their masks it just felt like it wasn't quite the same. There was this like right. bit of a different vibe. Mm. Is is that what it feels like in Montreal right now? Like, how do you how do you describe
1: what it's like right. to live there? Um, that's such a good question. Um, because I don't even know what it's like to live here anymore because I'm so cut off from right. the city and sort of everyone is in this idea of city life and the way that we live in montreal has just completely changed i've never felt more disconnected you know Mm, so it's really hard to get a sense of the whole but to what you were saying about that idea of people taking it less seriously um i think that montreal and quebec as a province and it's rare that we have often things in common because i think montreal it's hard to lump montreal in with the rest of province yeah. because it's right. so different yeah. but yeah. one thing that i do think the city of montreal and the province as a whole has in common is this very contrarian sort of nature mm. um and there's this thing about mm. quebec and montreal that just loves to be different for the sake of being different
2: yeah um
1: i mean even down to things like we have our march break earlier than the rest of canada yeah. and <laughs> we have CJP after high school and high school finishes the year earlier and it's just like there's all these things that are these differences that are often pointless. And sometimes, again, I think it's just that nature of wanting to go against the grain. Yeah. Um, and I think a certain amount of that applies to this year that we've had. Um, Montrealers and Quebecers do not like being told what to do. We're not as obedient as Ontarians right. or other provinces. But... That said, I do think that there is this narrative that the provincial government here is pushing that it's the irresponsibility of us as individuals that is responsible for this shit show. And I strongly disagree with that. I think, of course, there are people here who are, you know, again, tapped into that sort of contrarian energy, not following the rules. But I really feel like in Quebec and Montreal, it comes down to really poor leadership that has consistently been unclear and wishy-washy about rules and things that don't make sense. And they don't want to take any responsibility for this. Mm. But I strongly believe that the responsibility largely falls on the government's shoulders Mm. and not the shoulders of the individuals, even those who are misbehaving right.
2: Quebec is like, you, you know, when you say that I go, yeah, of course. I mean, I think I know that intuitively that there is like a very contrarian sort of like <laughs> essence to well, it. It's like, it's pre- like when you're reading a, when you're reading like a Coke can or a beer can and you're like return for five cents, um, like anywhere that you can, you know, deposit cans, except, except for Quebec.
0: Yeah, you like yeah. Hey, what? <laughs> or it's like Keep contest fucking like cans, yes. sweepstakes open to resins- residents yes. of Canada except for Quebec. Yeah. All like, the time. But it's like this uh the contrarian like Quebecois views uh, of like how we live our lives is like pre-COVID was super cool you know like it's kind of yeah. like it's yeah. kind of like attractive in the sense where you go there and you're like wow this place is like so, during COVID like there's this during COVID it's very problematic
1: <laughs> 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 during COVID it's like uh this isn't yeah, like, this is, out well <laughs> exactly like yeah. this is the time to follow the rules yeah, and I hate to say yeah, that yeah, because it just yeah. obviously sounds so lame but yeah. like this is the time I like know, there's not another option here right now and you know I think again, to speak to that contrarian nature, there definitely is this segment of the population here, again, that feels like that in addition to not taking the pandemic seriously, just believing that this whole thing is like this attempt of the government to sort of gain control over yeah. our lives and, yeah. Yeah. and tell us what to do. And it's just like, no, it's not that. Really? I've, like, I've
2: loved that from the beginning When the, from, like, from very early on, like April-ish, when it was like, hey, to everybody who thinks that the government is trying to exert control over you with this pandemic and telling you to wear a mask, like just remember that you have a social security number. You have to wear You seatbelt. Yeah, you have to wear ah. a seatbelt. You've got a driver's yeah. license. You've got a SIN number. Like, it's, Believe me, they you know, know where you are. You are in a system
3: <laughs> the second you pop <laughs> out of a vagina. You yeah. are exactly. in the system. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and forcing you to, forcing you to wear yeah. a mask doesn't make you any more like eligible to be controlled by the government <laughs> <laughs> if anything
3: yes. it makes you even less el- exactly your face is covered it, it, exactly. it cuts off this whole you get, because you know they're fucking tracking our faces right so, <laughs> so, so if they cover half the face you know I mean god it's so much easier to rob a convenience store right now like yeah. you know you know not saying? saying that i did you're yeah. not you're not you're not encouraging, not encouraging. <laughs> you know what's
0: funny is i walked into a, a convenience store the other day and i had uh these like big uh glasses on and a mask on and i had my hood up and i was like i feel i feel in, bad. Like, I right yeah. right. like i look sketchy right now right i feel weird about yeah. how i'm coming into this space <laughs> um
3: i, I want to kind of jump in here because we, we sort of just like <laughs> fucking hit the ground running uh <laughs> and without any like proper introductions but uh, Trana, we are speaking to our new friend here, Trana Wintor. Is it Wintor? Is that, is that yeah. it? nice? Um, <laughs> good job there. Thank you. Uh, and, uh, I, I just want to read your, uh, uh like a sliver of your bio here because I sure. think A, it's wonderful. B, it makes me want to change my bio. And see, I think it gives a really good uh, sort of outline as to who you are in these two, these two short sentences. Uh, Tranna Winter is a spiritual, pop culture obsessed, fashion hungry transgender comedian, singer, producer, and writer. She's basically Barbara Streisand minus the fame, fortune, and clone dogs, um, uh, which I fucking
2: love that. But wait, hold on. Does Barbara Streisand have clone dogs? Dude, yeah, she yeah, does. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, I didn't know you didn't that. Know that? Oh my god, I would clone you, you little sweet. <laughs> Holy
3: fuck. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to this I'll I'll bring that shit into our our next
2: field. And for, for anybody who is if you're I mean, no, wait, this isn't on video. You're just listening. Yeah. Loki's sitting on my lap, my yeah. my French yeah, bulldog. So. <laughs> um
3: uh so Tranna, in reading your bio, there was something that you said earlier about us talking about, you know, the the state of Montreal right now. Um and you were saying that you feel more disconnected as a whole. Um and as, as a, as a theater school dropout, someone who, <laughs> someone who had a career in performance, film and television, and now, you know, now podcasting, um, I know th- how fucking devastating it can be to sort of have your, have your, um, your art, you know, the, the thing that, the, the, the way that you express yourself through, through your creative outlets and, and to have that kind of stripped out from under you and how fucking awful that feels. Um, as a comedian, as a, as a performer, um, how, how has, how has the pandemic been having an effect, taking a toll on you as a, as a whole, in terms of like stripping you away from your ability to step onto a stage and, and make a, you know, a crowd of people laugh or, or, or have a crowd of people just, you know, taking in what Feel. it is you're giving
1: them. Yeah. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's I mean, that's been the biggest issue for me this last year and it's only gotten more pronounced over time, but um I'm definitely like an introvert by nature. I need a lot of alone time to sort of recharge and refuel. Um But I think even the most sort of solitary lone wolf people among us, like this whole year is just beyond pushing that to the limit. Mm. And, you know, in addition to needing this sort of alone time, there's this charge of energy and electricity that performing really brings to my life that gives me the energy to do everything that I need to do. Um, and I have to say not, because for me, performing is really not about just this sort of egocentric me putting ideas out there and having people taking them in. It's, it's really this back and forth, mm. you know, it's this collective experience. Um, and not having that has made me lose so much of my confidence. Yeah. It's made me second guess so many things. And I'm fortunate that. I have other things that I get to work on, like my podcast, Chosen Family, and I'm working on some writing projects, including the pilot for a TV show, which is like a dream project, like come to life. But it's happening at this moment in my life where I'm just so plagued with self-doubt. And it's because of that loss of Mm. creative expression that I get on stage that cannot be replaced by anything else. Mm. And I think as much as I love to do other things and express myself in other artistic forms, fundamentally, like in my deepest nature, I am a live performer. Like that's Mm -hmm. the thing that I care about the most. That's the thing that brings the most to my life and the most fulfillment. Um, So not having that has really been like losing the ground from under me, honestly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It, It sounds like you've, um, maybe you've reflected on, on this. It, it sounds like you have a, a really like uh, high level of self-awareness of, of like what that's taken away from you in terms of, of the, the feelings of self-doubt that you've been experiencing. Um, have you been like, where, where does that level of awareness come from? Like, have you, have you, uh, spoken to a therapist? Is it, is it sort <laughs> of your own meditation? Like, I, I I'm curious to know,
1: um, how you kind of get to that place. I think it's a few things. I think, first of all, I would I wish that I could afford to be in therapy regularly. <laughs> yeah. I think we've all reached the point now where we can acknowledge that every single person needs that. Totally. I mean, we needed that even before the pandemic, but I mean, that, the need has only yeah. increased. That yeah.
3: should have been rolled out with
1: CERB. It should have been like, here's <laughs> <Yeah>. your CERB <laughs> check
3: and also here's like one... Appointment
1: a month with a psychotherapist. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've had like a few little moments of therapy, mostly when it's just been more of like crisis sounds too extreme of a word, but just like different situations in my life where I have felt like I've reached the limit of my own ability to help myself Mm. um, and that I need someone else. So there's been a handful of moments where I've got where I've been with a therapist for like a couple of weeks, gotten back on track and then, you know, kept going. But I think that I think this is an experience that a lot of queer people in particular share or just anyone who's part of a sort of marginalized group, um, especially those of us in those groups who experienced that feeling of being an outsider growing up. And in my case, it really was just being bullied very relentlessly from like five years old to 15 years old that really... Mm forces you to question things and examine things Mm. in a way that I don't think you necessarily do if you're part of the status quo and you just get to move through the world without having your identity questioned or made fun of or attacked. Um, So I think that a lot of my sort of self-awareness and this need to sort of go deeper has really stemmed from that very early childhood experience of Feeling like the outsider and wanting to find ways to to feel okay and to feel like I can make my way through this experience, and so I think I've just, in that sense, always been drawn to spiritual thinkers and even spiritual artists. Like, um, it's not really a secret that Alanis Morissette is like my spiritual leader mm-hmm. and. There's I mean, she s- was God in, in Dogma, was, in was, dogma you exactly. know? Right, right, which is a fucking God perfect outside casting. outside of yeah. Dogma as yeah, well yeah. <laughs> um, to me. <laughs> and, you know, growing up, like, her, her lyrics are so... She's like the queen of self-introspection yeah. um, and self-awareness. And I genuinely think that I learned a lot <clears> from <throat> her growing up. Um, and I think that sort of spiritual curiosity and and wanting to be okay is sort of what leads me to seeking out information that can can help me and maybe then in turn help others to sort of navigate the harder things but let me assure you like i am self awareness does not mean being okay and yeah. self awareness does not mean <clears throat> having it together
2: yeah. mm-hmm. but it is yeah. a but it but it, it does it 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 does lend itself to a to an opportunity for for that because because right. I, I, because when you are self aware then you can then you you are I guess more likely or you you have the capacity at some point through that awareness to to identify things that need work or yeah um or and, and allow you to do that. Quick side note: Did you know that Alanis Morissette's brother is like is like a like a, like a Kirtan. No. Uh, like yoga music icon. Yep. icon Who? No, I had no idea. Who is it? Her oh, brother, brother, Wade? Her, who's your brother? He, yes, I think it is Wade. Yeah. Because oh, she has no,
1: two no, brothers. No. One who's a twin. She has a twin brother. And I believe they have another brother, although I could be mistaken on that.
2: I think but. it's, I think it's, I think it's Wade. He Wade, came to Halifax once shit? to Halifax yoga here. And it, and it was like you know it was it was explain built. Kirtan for people who
3: don't know. What Kirtan, Kirtan is
2: like Kirtan is like uh, is is like um, is like uh, Hindu chanting music with like it's music sung in Sanskrit. Sang, sung in Sanskrit. It's yeah. got like um, you use um, um not sitars. What what's what am I? not? What's the? Oh, why am um, I blanking on the name of that instrument? Yeah, I'm blanking on it now. Oh, uh, I thought it was a sitar. It's not a sitar. Yeah. Sitar is like the big, like oh, yeah, the super yeah, yeah. huge guitar but it's a sitar and, <laughs> and, uh, and, oh, what's a harmonium. It's, yeah, 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 right, it's kind of yeah. like an organ and an accordion together. Well, it's a, it's a, I digress. Yeah. But, <laughs> I mean, we are getting off track, but I, but I also, <laughs> in, let's get in, off track in, in light of, in light of Alanis said,
3: I have to ask, uh, and anyone who hasn't seen this, but Trana, have you seen the, I watched this maybe two months ago, uh, in 1995, she did, um, you ought to know on David Letterman. And that performance of "You Ought to Know" is like, I, I love a More set already, but that performance is—it's this like super fucking like, like grungy garage rock Nirvana style performance of that song. That when you take when you listen to that performance and then you compare it to like the radio mix it's two completely different songs and like she's so, she emotes, she's such an emotional like songwriter and emotional singer, but like watching her perform it on, on Letterman with this live performance. I was like, I immediately was like, Oh my God, I fingers crossed when you can go see shows again in the future. Like Alanis Morissette, I have to see her perform live because it, I, I feel know. like it is a completely different fucking ball. She's
1: amazing, and what's crazy actually. So I do this sort of cabaret slash storytelling show called Dear Alanis, which is <laughs> me singing these piano covers with um, my amazing musical director Les Friesen, who's also a big Alanis fan. And it's not—it's not really a show that's about Alanis's life story. It's sort of about the connection between her music and the way that it sort of served as the soundtrack to my life. And we did it a couple of times in Montreal and it was phenomenal. Like it was just like this, like spiritual experience for everyone there. And it was emotional and funny. And we were going to be doing it at the Toronto fringe last summer, summer 2020. And our last show was the day before her concert in Toronto, which we were going to see. Oh, so it was like this total, God. like oh my God. world world's could moment have that was so like supposed yeah. to happen. And then of course it did it. Uh, Fuck
3: you, 2020, COVID 2022. Here we come. <laughs> I, I
0: want to go see <laughs> dear Linus. That sounds amazing. Are you tired
3: of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper I, uh, I'm, I, I'm, it, it, it makes me, you know, hearing, hearing you talk about all of that, um, and talking about your art and how it's kind of, uh, played a role in your life. I'm, it makes me wonder, um, so, so just for, for context, um, I, I have cystic fibrosis and a big part of my upbringing with CF, you know, uh, I faced a lot of hardship with my illness growing up and um, it's, you know, mentally it really fucked me up and there's a whole, there's a whole bunch of shit there. But for me, um, the, you know, hands down, like the best therapy that I ever received for my illness outside of the medications that technically keep me alive. But, 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 but very important part. I mean, those (laughs) are important, but, but this plays, I think this plays an even more important role um, laughter and, and comedy and, and having the ability to, to inject levity into situations played a really big role yeah. in my ability to cope and, and understand and navigate what life is like for someone who is living with a, a, a fatal disease. Um, and you had mentioned how, like, you know, you, you went through a lot of really severe bullying coming up as a kid um i'm wondering how i'm always fascinated in talking to comedians about how the hardships that they've been through has played a role within their art as a comedian because i don't identify as a comedian at all but i do identify as a as someone who is funny and can be funny and who relies on comedy, who relies on Mm -hmm. laughter in my life. Yeah. And, and, and that 100% that stems directly from my life's hardships. Mm -hmm. Is that something that you, do you think you fell into this world of, of comedy through the, through the, you know, through the, the tough situations that you've, you've gone through in your life, whether that be bullying or, or self
1: identity issues or, or anything like that? Um, I think there are elements of that. Like I, I really understand what you're describing in terms of the way that, that humor served as this outlet for you during the harder moments. Mm. I think for me in my younger life, it was, it was more music that was that healing sort of art in my life. Sure. Yeah. Um, it wasn't really comedy. And I think at the time, especially because I was so young, I didn't know how to laugh at it and I didn't see the humor in it at all. Like, I think I was just too young to find a way to turn that experience on its head and and just sort of laugh at it, you know, instead of being hurt by it. I wasn't able to do that. Um, and I think even past, you know, teenage years and graduating from high school and those early adult years, I think it was still an experience that I took really seriously. Mm. Um, and I think one of the most damaging things of that experience as a kid is that I think that my nature as a performer, and it is really bad. It's, it's an, it's my nature. Like I did not choose to be a performer. I don't think it's better or worse than anyone else's nature is just sort of this energy and this thing that I was given and that I didn't choose, but I felt it so profoundly and just internally. And it was always there. Yes. And there was always in tandem with that, the need to express it. Um, But being a kid going through that situation of being bullied, the only thing that I knew how to do to get through it was to try to make myself as invisible as possible, Mm -hmm. which is in complete opposition to my need to be in front of an audience, creating an energy and a moment to share with people. So for so many years, I felt completely disconnected from that performer nature. And I really had to find a way as much as possible to heal that sort of experience before I was ever going to be ready to mm-hmm. do that professionally or in any real capacity. And you- honestly, until I was able to do that, I never performed. You know, So I was this performer... Mm-hmm internally who was never performing. And I was just sort of living my dreams and fantasies just in my own internal world. But it took a long time to get to the point where I felt like I can really do this.
3: Do you, do you remember the first time you got to perform? Like, do you remember the first time where you actually got to like expel that deep desire the, to to live that like that that to live that purpose that you just felt so deeply
1: within your existence um that's a great question i mean of course technically the real first time would be there's sort of two moments there's of course like the first open mic which is like how every comedian starts like there's no sure. way around yeah, yeah, that yeah. you do an open mic but before i did that first open mic about a month before um i did so i'd never really grew up looking at stand up comedy was never really on my radar was never this thing that i was really into um but then i would say like in my early to mid 20s i discovered sandra bernhardt who's sort of like my comedy hero and when i saw her doing what she does which is stand up but it's also music and sort of something that's a bit more theatrical and stylized and mm. I, I, when I saw her it was just like oh my god like this is the outlet of expression that I've been looking for my whole life so I knew in the moment of seeing her I'm like this is exactly what I am meant to do but it I still needed time to feel ready I've never been someone who's good at just jumping off the cliff or like diving off the diving board I need to like feel ready I need to feel prepared and confident so I spent like a year just like writing material and sort of emotionally getting myself ready to do this because, I was also scared to do it because I thought I was throwing myself into like a bullying situation. Part two, I was like, my God, like I'm opening up myself to like, God knows what. Um, So I did, little did I know that comedians basically start by writing five (laughs) minutes that I thought because I was watching Sandra do these one woman shows <laughs> yeah. that I had to have an like hour. an hour Holy fuck. <laughs> so, like I wrote a full hour before Whoa. I did my first open mic and I did that hour at my friend's apartment as part of this thing called the home theater festival mm. which was sort of this grassroots initiative to just tell people like don't wait for your work to be validated or for like yourself to be able to like get up in a professional space, like just do a show in your house. Yeah. Um. So I did that and it was terrifying Um. to this day. I think the most nervous I've ever been, Um. but it just felt so good and it was so affirming. Um. And in my childhood, you know, even though, again, I was really trying to be as visible as possible. There were a handful of little moments. I felt like doing public speaking in elementary school and, and my elementary school in particular was like, really big on public speaking and having these sort of annual public speaking contests like that was sort of my a little bit of getting a taste of that outlet early on Mm.
2: did did you like um, when you um, do you feel do you feel like having had that experience that uh, obviously unfortunate experience of 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 having been bullied when you when you got that when you got that sense of I'm gonna go do comedy and oh my god this could be setting me up because I mean comedy Comedy is comedy is ruthless. Like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean we've it's all you've terrifying. all seen you've all seen people bomb, and you know you've seen great comedy, and you've seen and you've seen somebody just you know completely you know go belly up. And, the
0: feelings associated I think of when I think of somebody bombing like gives me just thinking about it <laughs> gives me severe yeah, anxiety. Yeah. Like that that feeling must be fun. But oh, but so do hurt. you
2: do you <laughs> feel like having had that experience of being bullied? And obviously that that is that's horrible, and no one deserves that in in any way, shape, or form going into an experience where you see that that is a possibility, like, oh, this could be something, like, I'm opening myself up for ridicule. D- do you did you feel do you feel any more prepared for that because of the experience of being bullied? Like, you're like, man, I, I, I dealt with this shit and I got through it and, and right. I'm, I'm going to go head first into this and I know how to deal with this if that is indeed what comes.
1: Um, I think that's what I thought going into it. Like, I think that I really thought exactly what you're describing that I am actually prepared like what more can be thrown at me um and I've been very lucky in that you know like the seven or eight years that I've been doing this like I haven't really faced that it's only happened about twice one time in particular that was really really bad and I was doing this late night set at a comedy club and it was during Grand Prix in Montreal, like the Formula One oh, racing. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it's sort of like douchebags from all over the world just descend <laughs> right. across the city and yeah. take over. Yeah. And the yeah. comedy club that I was performing in was like right in the hub of like where all the Grand Prix parties are and where like all the like douchiest of the douchebags right. are. Yeah. And so this late night show, the audience was just all of these guys. Oh, no. And it's really rare to have an audience that is just one demographic. You know, like, I mean, usually it's, you know, at least at the very minimum, a mix of men and women Mm -hmm. that night, I swear to you, there wasn't even a single woman in the audience. Like it was just all of these guys who I think just stumbled in, not even really knowing what they were about to see. And I remember, you know, right off the bat, they the audience or guys in the audience were making these racist comments to the host of the show. Oh, and I was gosh. like, Oh fuck, like this is going to be a nightmare like, mm-hmm. I knew that I was in for something and I was still really like early in my career because if I were in that moment now and I'm feeling like this is not going to be good, I just won't do it. I'm going to be like, you know what? I'm getting a really bad feeling about this show. I'm not going to do it. I'm yeah. going home. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time I felt like that wasn't something that I could do. Um, so I went up and then someone in the audience inevitably started yelling these like transphobic things. Like, and there's a really big difference between being heckled and like having sort of hate speech directed at you. Like, yeah. Those are not the yeah, same very, thing. Very yeah. different, yeah. And when you get a heckler, like you can find ways to make that funny. You know, yeah. there there's something to work with there. Yeah. But having hate speech directed at you, it's like there's not really a way to make that funny. And I remember in that moment, <clears throat> it just sort of brings back everything that you've experienced before. Yeah. And then you sort of realize that you're not fully ever as over it as you think you are. You know, mm-hmm. so to get back to your question, yes, in some ways it did sort of prepare me. But then in other ways, like when it actually happens, It's sort of shocking how much in that moment I revert to feeling exactly like my 12 year old self all over again. Mm -hmm. Fuck. That's brutal.
3: Yeah. Yeah. That's, I mean, and like, there's no, there's no prepping for that. You know, like there's no, you can, you can have an idea of like, Oh heckler, like maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll take it in this direction or I could do this, but like, there's no prepping for like, Oh, you're, you're literally just throwing like yeah. you're saying, you're saying shit that should come with like, should come with like penalization, you know, like, yeah. like, like you, like hate speech is a crime and like, there's no, there, like, that's just, I'm, I'm really sorry that you had to go
1: through that. That's. I mean, okay. it only happened once. And it, I mean, I have, um, a comedian friend who's Muslim and she had Islamic, you know, hate speech directed at her once on stage and it caught her so off guard and she cried on stage and it was such a heartbreaking (sighs) moment. I was lucky, like when it happened to me, there was this split second moment of, do I just do what I've done my whole life, which is ignore, pretend I'm not hearing it, ignore it, just sort of keep going on, shrink, become small. But then in that moment, I guess the difference was that there was And this was all happening literally in the span of a second. It's amazing how many thoughts can be crammed into a Mm. second. But then there was this other part of me that was like, I've had to go through so much to be able to even get up on this stage. So like, fuck no, is this person going to come in my space and do this? And I don't remember exactly what I said, but I know that I like successfully ripped him to shreds. And it wasn't funny. (laughs) I was being like very just... Brutal, yeah, you yeah. know, but in the way that it needed to
2: be, yeah. Well, they open the door for that as soon as, as soon as, mm-hmm. as soon as someone someone speaks like that. Do you like, and 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 especially for anybody who's for any. This was something that I was listening to on a podcast today. Again, I've been talking about Hamilton Morris on Joe, talking <laughs> on Joe Rogan all day today because Hamilton Morris is just fucking such a gem of a of oh. a human. But they were talking about that. They were talking about performing and people who are in public space and you know people who are in media and just how how easy it is for people to not have any empathy yeah. for yeah. people who are who are performing in our in media or in the public eye because and like how easy it is to forget like Imagine if you were in this person's shoes yeah. on stage about to try yeah. and make a group of people laugh yeah. or that, or you're a politician and you're about to go and say something and you know, fucking poor sleepy Joe makes a little slip up on his words. And now like he's got dementia <laughs> and like, right. you know, or, you know. or
0: like the <laughs> severe harassment of Britney Spears. That is, yeah, that to me that. is like it's the fucked. epitome. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's yeah. It,
3: yeah it, I mean, it's, The other thing, too, is it like when you when you talk about a comedy club, you know, there's there's like inherent issues there where you get a bunch of people together, serve them a bunch of fucking alcohol. Yeah. And, you know, there's probably reasons why you can't get fucking liquored at the opera.
2: You know, like I'm sure. Right, right, yeah. Like, that's like, a good it point. Would, it would never be as classy as. It is <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. I as it think it's <laughs> too, like it's technically possible, but it's too expensive to get liquor <laughs> yeah, at the yeah, opera. That's right. Yeah, like, they you know, only like, the only drinks are so expensive. <laughs> yeah. They only
2: sell Louis the Thirteenth, like hundred and fifty dollars <laughs> shots
3: at the yeah. opera. Yeah, um, I, I want to. I, you've mentioned your podcast a couple times. I, I would love. Uh, if you don't mind just, just giving our, our, our listeners. So, you know, we're, 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 we're sort of a a new family member to the CBC and it's, it's, uh, it's feels great to be a part of the fam, but, uh, (laughs) but it's, uh, we'd love to let our listeners know about, about your podcast and, and what it is that, uh, you and your podcast partner, uh, Thomas are, are trying to get up to.
1: So it's called Chosen Family, and um, it is a talk show. So, I mean, you know, the format, I'm not going to try to pretend that it's like some sort of groundbreaking thing that is so completely unique and different to everything else that's out there. But our our talk show really focuses on the arts, and more specifically, the arts as this tool for processing um, and mm-hmm. healing trauma or, you know, just navigating life like really the sort of link examining the link between the creative process and the sort of healing process slash spiritual enlightenment process but it's also funny you know like Thomas and I are both comedians so there's there's a humor that we're bringing to these really deep and meaningful and sometimes heavy conversations um but I think part of the reason that we wanted to do something like that is you know, comedy is all about making people laugh, but there are other things that we want to talk about and other emotions that we want to share. And this is our third season that just started about a month ago. And in a weird way, like this whole year that we've lived has really given the show an even deeper meaning. Like, I just feel like, it, its purpose and its reason for existing feels so much more amplified right now because mm. now there's this opportunity that we get in the show to create connection in this in this new way and I think that people's, People's listening habits have changed as well, too. You know, podcasts frequently are something that people listen to on their commutes and, you know, sort of like while you're doing things. But now I think like especially for people who've been living alone for this last year, I've heard this from many different people that podcasts and listening to your favorite podcast now feels like this way to not feel so alone.
3: Have you, have um, you seen that moment. meme, that meme of, uh, I mean, yeah, this is my came favorite out, meme. It's, it's my favorite meme too. It's, it came up before COVID, but it's this, <clears throat> it's this image. I don't know if it's a stock photo or what, what the fuck, where the <laughs> fuck it came from, but it's this image of this like little kid and he's, he's eating ice cream and he's, he's eating ice cream while looking at this giant poster on a wall that has like five other kids having a really lovely time eating ice cream. <laughs> and, and so it's like, you know, you're seeing this kid finding fun in eating ice cream with a bunch of kids on a poster. Yeah. And, and the meme is just like how I feel listening to my favorite podcasts. Where right. Just yeah. Like, yeah. Oh my God, yeah. I'm best friends with nobody here, but there's something they are <laughs> in my head, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah,
1: But I, 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 I've listened to more podcasts in this last year than I ever have before, totally. yeah. you know? Um, and that's really part of it. And I think too, like something different that we're bringing to the table is that I think like when we started, you know, Thomas and I, again, being comedians and it's, you know, the comedy world, like everyone has a podcast, uh, everyone has a podcast. And yeah. most of those podcasts are just comedians talking to each other, you know? And there's sort of like long conversations that, meander and go into like a million different directions and that sometimes can be a little bit annoying to listen to Yeah. Um, but mm. ours is really more about this idea of telling stories through conversation mm-hmm. you know so it it's edited and there's really beautiful sound design in it and it's really about having conversations that tell a story and, and it's specific and I think you know in this age where everything is like snark and cynicism and you know, there's a certain amount of fun that I derive from that energy as well, but I think it's nice to actually do something that is just really genuine and from the yeah. heart, and that is actually uplifting and is not really cynical, you know, mm-hmm. and is is not corny either. It's not corny. Well, again,
3: uh, <clears throat> the uh, the podcast "Chosen Family." Uh, you can listen to it wherever you find fine <laughs> podcasts, just like this one here. Uh, I take it you guys are on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and the CBC Listen app, all those places. Uh, Trina, I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your day-to-day to to sit down with us and to... Just have a a long meandering conversation that went in a whole bunch of different directions, and I hope wasn't so fucking annoying for someone. No,
1: no, this was not bad. That's not what I'm talking about. No, I know, (laughs) I know, I know. You're not just pointing. Uh, I'm talking about the ones where like you have no idea what they're talking about. Yeah, where if you
3: stop listening for three seconds, you go, "Wait, what the fuck? Yeah, Yeah. how how did we get here? Do you you ever listen to uh,
2: you made it weird? Uh,
3: Yes, with um, with Pete uh, Pete Holmes. Yeah.
2: Yeah, kind of like an inch inter- <laughs> in, Just in you saying that, trying like that, I totally know what you mean by that. And like, I, I, there, you know, depending on the guest, I, I, love listening to Joe Rogan if the guest is right. But, but it is like you know, a three hour fucking who knows where this shit's going.
1: And yeah, and and that has its place. And I'm not not totally. That. It's just not no. for me. Yeah. <laughs>
2: but Pete Holmes, this podcast, and this is like a total inadvertent plug for Pete Holmes' podcast it's called "You Made It Weird," and it, he has like three or four things that he always hits on and he he's, ta- he, he yeah, talks he's a to, very fascinating individual he loves to
3: talk about spirituality or yeah. religion he loves to talk psychedelics about psychedelics tim
2: ferris oh. is like that yeah. too actually. and he kind of hits on these like you always know that he's going to hit these notes in the podcast it's sort of it's like it's halfway between that like who knows where this is going and also i know exactly what i'm going to get it's right. you kind
3: of feel like you're just listening to someone going I don't want to go see a therapist. So I'm just gonna make you my guest, my
1: therapist for the yeah. next hour. Anyway, yeah. just, just, I mean, I have to admit I've been guilty of that. <laughs> of oh fuck. It, you so, kidding me? Yeah, exactly. Those so are, have we.
0: Those yeah. are some great recommendations, but I just wanted to let you guys know. We probably cut this episode about three minutes ago because we have a quota of only promoting one podcast per episode. So, actually, uh, I actually so. have taken a note, right? I gotta <laughs> got to talk to the guys about talking about
3: other podcasts on our podcast. <laughs> uh and uh so now I'm bringing that up. Uh Trina again. Thank you so much this has been really thank fun. You. And it was thank nice you so thank you guys so much i too. look forward
0: yeah. to uh getting out to your uh dear Alanis. Uh, yeah that's what it's called I <laughs> yes yeah. this all, and i'm gonna be in the audience with Alanis morissette when she goes sitting um, next to her yeah yeah, yeah. holding know, her I'm hand just, uh, I'm, that's my plan <laughs>
2: amazing amen to that vaccine baby let's yeah, get yeah. It. let's get, get it, it.
0: Out. thanks uh, thank you guys
3: And that was our conversation with Trana. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Steaver, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lowness. And the music is from our friend, Lincoln Coyle. That is it for this week.
0: I'm Brian. I'm Taylor.
3: I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy.